Are you guys excited to be here with God's people? Amen? Come on, give me something more than that. Amen. Why do we gather on Sundays, church? To worship the Lord, encourage one another. Those two reasons right there. So I hope that today is a day that we worship the Lord and we encourage one another. Amen? Today we're going to be continuing in our series, Holy, Holy, which comes out of um, 1 Peter, and he says... That because the Lord says, I am holy, so you should be holy. Peter says that we should be holy in all of our conduct. And so, that little key word there, all, is where it gets challenging. All is where it gets convicting. I wish it would say some of our conduct, certain areas that are easy. (laughs) But it doesn't say that, it says all of our conduct. And so from that verse, we really took this um, series and we said, we're going to study the idea of holiness holistically. Right? to look at all parts of our lives, and we broke that down into four parts. Devotional holiness, personal holiness, relational holiness, and missional holiness. And I believe that we kind of categorized all of holiness into four kind of sections, and, and really another way to put it would be, it's the way we view and act towards God um, in a holy manner. It's the way we view and act towards ourselves, the way we view and act towards others, and the way we view and act towards Mission. You could also say it this way. It's knowing who God is, who I am, who they are, and who they could be. Amen? And so that's kind of this idea here is that we want to holistically view view holiness. And so the first week we looked at devotional holiness. Um, How do we live a holy life, act in a holy manner in our view towards God, the way we worship Him, the way we think about Him, the way we praise Him and thank Him and talk about Him. And and so that's a key part, is we have to begin there, knowing who God is, worshiping Him because He is holy and deserving of our worship. And then we look at ourselves, and, and God says that we are holy. He has made us holy in Christ. He is justified us. He has imputed his righteousness to us. And so we must look at that identity that Christ has ascribed to us, he's given to us, and live in it. And anything that doesn't match who God says we are now as a child of God, we get rid of. Right? Those old things that pop up, we, we get rid of those things. Those temptations, we say, no, thank you. And we move forward in our growth personally. And now this week, we're going to be looking at relationships And uh, I don't want you to misunderstand what relational holiness is. Relational holiness isn't making sure that other people are holy, right? What we're talking about is how you relate with others in a holy manner, in a way that is set apart, which is what holiness means, a way that is set apart from the world. So the idea here and the convicting one is that we as Christ followers as children of God, should relate with people and have relationships with people that look different than the world. Now, this is a key element. In um, Matthew 5, it says, For if you love... <laughs> we'll wait on Aaron. Make no big deal. <laughs> I just have it. Like, I do it on purpose. I wait and see when you're... I'm just kidding. I don't do that. I need to actually pay attention. So I need to... <laughs> uh, Matthew 5, 46 says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, 
What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Jesus is telling us here in this scripture that there is a way in which we relate with people and love people that should look different than what the world does. So our relationships with, as Christians with um, our spouses and our families and our coworkers and even strangers should look different than the way it does with the world. We should react differently to conflict. We should react differently to um, insults. We should act differently to competition. All of these elements, like we should act completely different than the world. That's what it means to be set apart. And it has to, if we're to be holy in all our conduct, it has to make its way to our relationships. Amen? As it's convicting, this is where it gets hard, right? Because it's like, okay, I can worship God. I can, I can work on like, my own personal morality. But then it comes to relationships. And sometimes Christians can be as bad or even worse, right? Like I've known Christians who are, seem really solid in a lot of areas, but are always talking trash about people, who are rude to people at the restaurant, on the streets, like... No, like, if you're to be holy in all your conduct, this has to make its way to how you treat others. And so, this was a challenging one for me, because I'm like, there's like literally 20 directions I can go with this. Do I talk about marriage? Do I talk about family? Do I talk about the body of Christ? Do I talk about relationships with strangers or coworkers? And I'm like, no, we're going to just focus in and say, like, all of these have some elements that are common with each other. Um, And so, there's a few points we're going to discuss today that kind of would apply to all of those. And so... You know, you could do a 20-week series on relationships, and maybe one day we will, but not yet. This week, we're going to just kind of look at the overview of how we should act in a holy manner in our relationships. So, do relationships and holiness go together? Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You see, he's connecting how we react and, and act with act towards people, uh, with holiness. It's a part of it. Being at peace with everyone is a way in which we live out a holy life. Um, The Bible tells us to seek peace with everyone so far as we are able to, right? There should never be a conflict that's not resolved because of a Christian. You know what I'm saying? Now, that's convicting. All conflicts on our end should be resolvable. If it's not resolvable, it's from the other end. Amen? That's where it gets really tough. Uh, let's look at a few scriptures here. I want to look at Colossians 3.12. This really sums up just beautifully, um, really, the attitude and character we should have in our relationships. Um, Colossians 3.12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then, uh, and let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. <laughs> and be thankful. I like the way he does that at the end there. Um, there's a lot here. I think it would do us well to memorize scriptures like these. Um, how are we to relate with people? What should our relationships look like? Well, if we're God's chosen ones, right? if we're holy, if this is the identity that's true of us, if we're children of God, if we're heirs, he says these are the types of things 
that should be common in your relationships. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. Right? Compassionate hearts. Right? Kindness, meekness. So that's humility and meekness and patience with them. And then this is where it gets a little bit tougher, bearing with one another. Ugh. <laughs> right? It's like, okay, I like to be nice and kind and patient and forgiving to the people that I like. Right? But then he kind of takes another step. What about the people you don't like? Well, You've got to bear with one another. Right? I hope that you guys bear with me because I'm imperfect. Right? I know that my personality could maybe rub people the wrong way and that every once in a while there might be a person that you don't like or they don't like you that's gonna happen and what do we do in the church do we do we leave the church do we ask the pastor to kick that person out do they say hey maybe you should attend a different community group and so there'll be less conflict no what do we do we bear with one another we forgive one another we love one another we be patient with one another we be humble before one another that is the type of relationships that we need to see in the church Humility and love. As Jesus said, you, okay, you love the people that love you. That's really easy. Everybody can do that. That's not special. That's not set apart. That's just called being a human. What about loving the people that are rude to you? What about loving the people that are your enemies? What about loving those who really annoy you? Your enemies, right? It's a tricky thing. But we must strive for this, church. If there's people that you don't like, I would say that's the person you need to start showing the most love. Because that's going to really grow you personally. And then it's going to grow them when they're seeing, oh, we had conflict, but man, they're just always so nice to me now. What is going on? This is so weird. And then what an example to the world. What an example to the world when it's like, you know what? So-and-so did this. It really bugged me. But you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice my time and, and, and my energy. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after this person. I'm going to pursue them and love them in a new way. You don't see a lot of that in the world. You don't see much of that at all. So we need to be seeing that in the church. And what if you've got to complain against one another? He says, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Forgiven people forgive people. Going back to Lord's Prayer, right? We, we taught on that. Forgiven people forgive people. If you've been forgiven by God for all of your trespasses, as the song that Melissa just saying, it is well, not sin in part, but sin as a whole, he forgave you. He removed that. If God did that for you, how can you not forgive those who harmed you? How can you not forgive those who wronged you? Forgiven people forgive people. And then above all these things, he says, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's what I want for our church. Us to put on love, and then we are bound together in perfect harmony. This is relational holiness. Right? Jesus said that my disciples will be known for their love for one another. Because they're bound together in perfect harmony because of love. We need more of that in churches today. We need more of that in Austin Chapel. First John 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light, do you want to walk in the light? right? Or do you want to walk in darkness? I want to walk in light, right? So what does it say about that? It says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us 
from all sin. You know, we, we really will attain this perfect harmony. We'll attain Christ-centered, healthy community when all eyes are set on Jesus. Actually, that is the key rather than setting our eyes on each other, right? Or ourselves. When all eyes are set on Jesus, we're all focused in on Jesus. We start saying, okay, how would Jesus react in this situation? And his peace then is ruling in our hearts. And so, because we're so focused on Jesus, he's done for us and who he is, it improves all of our relationships. So when a church is completely focused in on Jesus, you're actually going to see more harmony than ever. So you're like, all right, I've got conflict. I can't, I can't forgive this person. I've got complaints against this person. There, there doesn't be a way to mend this relationship. Get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus. Then get him for really his peace to rule your heart. That starts happening. The way you view them now totally changes because your eyes are set on Jesus and his peace is ruling in your heart. In church, this is why we need Hebrews 10, 24 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay. Interesting couple points here on this verse. We need to get together for love and encouragement. Like, we need this. And it's not healthy for us as believers, as a part of God's uh, church, as a part of Christ's body, to neglect this. It's, it's unhealthy for us to neglect coming together with a church, a local church, your, your group. So for us, Boston Chapel, it's unhealthy for us to neglect coming together. And it says we need to encourage one another. And then it says all the more as you see the draw day near. Right? So from that verse, you know what I take from that? That since we are closer to the return of Christ than anyone's ever been before, we need to come together and encourage each other even more than people a year ago, a hundred years ago, or a thousand years ago. Even more. Because as the end draws near, things are going to get crazier and crazier. And the church is going to unity and harmony more and more than ever before. So this is not the time, church. There never has been a time, but this specifically right now in the present is not the time to neglect community. It is not the time to neglect encouraging one another. It is not the time to neglect Christ's bride. We need each other more than ever. You need community and encouragement more I have three points that I want to make about relational holiness. Now, the first is that we should be humble before one another. You're not going to have good relationships with pride. Pride will ruin relationships. Right? I, uh, I go to this paint store. Uh, it's like my home store. I go to a lot of paint stores, but the one I go to most often is my home store. And I'm starting to build relationships with the managers and all the guys that work there. They all know me by name. I know, I know all them by name. There's one guy, we, we talk a lot when we go in. And uh, he, he was like, oh, I didn't realize you're married. And we were talking about it. I was like, yeah, I have a kid and I'm married. And you know, he's like, what? when did you get married? I was like, when I was 21. He's like, you got 
married so young and all this and that. He's like, is marriage really hard? And I was like, marriage is really hard if you're a rude person. <laughs> like, if you are humble before people, like if you're humble with your spouse, marriage is easy. When you have two people that are rude or, or just arrogant or just um, overly opinionated or selfish, it's almost impossible and it's somewhat possible if one is selfless and humble. And, but a really good marriage is really easy when both people are humble. Right? That makes marriage easy. The hard part is being humble. <laughs> right? But marriage is easy when two people come and they're both humble. I promise you. I promise you. Every time Melissa and I, we, we, we have a little season where we're, we're fighting a little more, we're, we're arguing, arguing over like dishes and really dumb stuff like that. When we humble ourselves, immediately all of those problems are gone. We humble ourselves. But it's true in all relationships. A lot of conflict comes from pride. And you have a lot less conflict when you have humility. And so I would say we need to be Humble beast. Melissa, where's this shirt? It's like a Christian slam poetry record label, right? And they're called like Humble Beast. And she wears the shirt. Most people don't realize like it's a record company, so they just think Melissa's like, I'm Humble Beast, y'all. <laughs> uh, and I, like, I was like thinking about this point. I was like, I'm thinking of Melissa's shirt here, Humble Beast. The Bible tells us to humble ourselves. The Bible strongly encourages us not to wait for the Lord to humble us. You, that is one, there's a lot of things you want God to do in your life. Humbling you is not one. <laughs> right? Like There's a lot of things you're like, Lord, would you just please do this in my life? Don't pray for him to humble you. Just humble yourself. Okay? Because every time the Lord humbles people in Scripture, it's, it's not fun. Okay? So it's better to become a humble beast on your own than to be made a humble beast by God. Now, Romans 12, 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself in the correct measure. Um... Get off your high horse, as I say. I was like, I was Googling that term. Where did that come from? Uh, just come from people who could afford horses and people who couldn't. <laughs> uh, get off your high horse, Richie. Uh, and I was thinking about that, and I was like, all right, we got to get off our high horse, and we got to humble ourselves. we got to be a humble beast. And I was thinking of, all right, what's a humble beast? And I was thinking of Nebuchadnezzar, right? So Nebuchadnezzar could have humbled himself. Before the Lord, he could have given all glory and credit to the Lord as he was asked to, to say, Lord, all I have is, is yours ultimately. I only have it because of you. But he, he didn't do that. He instead was arrogant. He was building himself up. He was thinking of himself as higher than he ought. And the Lord gave him the mind of a beast where he thought he was a cow and ate grass his fingernails grew out, and he acted and looked like a beast. Until he humbled himself, and then he was healed. It was actually a, uh, yeah, seven years. It's a long time to be a humble beast. 
There's a technical term for that. It's called lycanthropy or bovine tropy. This is where you, this is specifically where you think you're a cow. There's been other instances of it in recorded uh, psychological uh, writings, right? They've found other people who thought they were a wolf or thought they were, that's where we get the whole thing from lichens, werewolves. Uh, or even specifically, there's been other recordings of people who thought they were a cow, right? I don't know about you, but I don't want the Lord to humble me in that manner, <laughs> right? So I'd rather be a humble beast with a right mind <laughs> than be made a literal, like, in my mind beast, <laughs> you know? And so we must be humble beasts before the Lord of our own choosing. And then before each other. If you are humble before one another, watch relationships grow. Watch the love of Christ be so visible when we are humble before each other. We'll be known for a love for one another. My point number uh, two is that we need to see the value in one another. This is really, really important. It's easy to see the value of ourselves, but we need to see the value of each other. I call this point, appendicitisology is bad doctrine. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12.21 says that I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again to the head, uh, or again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Paul's talking about the body of Christ. And how we all have um, different roles and different purposes in the body of Christ. And he says what? The hand can't say, or I can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, or the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Right? So, I was thinking of this, and it's not a perfect analogy, uh, as mine often aren't. Uh, <laughs> but appendicitis starts hurting, right? It might blow up inside of you and kill you, so you remove it, right? Well, if we apply that sort of thinking to the church, that would be bad Doctrine, appendicitisology, right? Word I made up is bad doctrine. Because we look at people and go, man, they're really hurting my side. <laughs> they're really causing pain in our church. And the temptation will be, let's remove them, <laughs> right? Let's remove them. Let's get rid of them. We don't need that person. Let's like all like not hang out with them a lot. And eventually they'll just get tired of us and they'll leave. Or, no. These are bad, this is bad doctrine, this is bad relationships. There is value in every part of the body. Even the ones that are causing pain. My dad and my brother had appendicitis, and my mom says that she read that it's genetic. And I'm like living in constant fear that my appendicitis is going to explode inside of me. Uh, It's not constant fear. I do worry about it sometimes. Because it's like both of them had one, and I'm like, what's it going to happen to me if it's, if it's genetic? Uh-oh. Hopefully I got better genes. Uh, we can't just remove people. We have to see their value. It's easy to look at certain roles and certain positions in, in church and to give them more, more glory and honor and all that, and to look at other people in church and go, you, you have no value here. I was at a conference recently, and, and Francis Chan was saying that we oftentimes in churches can communicate that all that's really needed to make this happen 
It is me, the pastor. I need a children's person and a music person. That's all I need. I don't need the rest of you here. He says that without verbalizing it, it can be communicated to the congregation that those are the only three people needed. Now, those are really important roles, right? Kids, oh my gosh, that is... The people who serve in kids are, like, amazing, okay? Thank you so much to those people back here who can't hear me right now. Um, You know, worship and, and, and teaching, those are important parts of church, but... If we ever communicate that the rest of the church isn't needed, that they don't have something to, to offer, that's, that's a serious problem. Because the Bible teaches continually that the whole congregation should be coming together and encouraging one another. That everyone should be bringing something to give. I've talked about this a few times before, but if everyone comes to receive, everyone leaves not having received. If everyone comes to give, everyone leaves having received. All right? So if everyone comes in here and, and you're looking at the people that are here, how can I pray for you? Hey, you know what? I was reading scripture the other day and this verse stuck out to me. And, and, and all of a sudden I was thinking about you and I, I just think this verse would encourage you or help you. We were a church that actually did that. People would leave fed because right? I'm, I'm just one person teaching a one thing. But the Holy Spirit is so much bigger than that. The Holy Spirit is so much bigger than me. And we have a lot of people here who could come in and encourage one another, pray for one another, give verses to one another. And everyone would leave going, wow, like that was different. I've never, I've never experienced that before. But believers, church, that is what we see in the, new, the, the early church in the New Testament. We see them all coming together and encouraging one another, praying for one another. And, and so we, we see that probably happen a little more at community groups, but why can't that happen on Sundays too? Why can't we come in and, and while you're having coffee, instead of just talking about the weather, say, hey, brother, how can I pray for you? Right? I'll challenge you with that. If everyone comes with something to give, everyone will, everyone will have left um, having received something. My next and last point is that we need to help one another. We need to be a Wolverine church. You're like, what are you talking about, Stephen? Ephesians 4. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The body needs to actually be able to build itself up, to heal itself even when there's problems. To build itself up, to heal itself. When every part of the body is working properly, it builds the body up as a whole to grow. So that says a couple things. It says, one, that you have something to offer, we just talked about. Each one of you do. And if you aren't offering what you're able to offer, you're limiting the growth of the entire church. So we need to help one another by using the gifts that God has given each one of us in the church. And when we work properly, we'll be able to grow.
Humans are able to heal themselves. Right? You get a scratch on your arm. Over some time, it heals up, dries over, right? skin grows back, and you're healed. Right? Now, we aren't able to regrow limbs and things like that. But I believe the body of Christ should be a body that no matter what hits it, no matter what the wound, no matter um, how severe the damage is, it should be repairable when everyone is working together in a, in a proper manner. Like Wolverine, who has the healing factor. He has a healing ability, right? I really enjoyed reading the X-Men comics when I was a teenager, and Jackman portrayed Wolverine in eight movies over 17 years, which finalized in the last his last movie, Logan, and and uh, spoiler, no, I won't, I won't spoil it. Never mind. He has the healing factor, but it's <laughs> it's slowing down. And anyways, I won't ruin the movie for you. Uh, I'm getting off topic here. He can heal himself. In the comics, one time, uh, Magneto basically is who he has control metal, and Wolverine has a metal body. Pretty cool, right? Metal metal bones. Rips his skeleton out. <laughs> this is so violent. So. <laughs> Rips the skeleton out, and, and, and then all this like flesh is destroyed and everything, and, and it's just the metal that's there. And Wolverine regenerates himself from one remaining cell. <laughs> I was like, that's pretty cool. Okay, uh, the, I swear this has some spiritual analogy to it. Uh, the church should be able to regenerate and to rebuild itself up from any cause, any sort of damage, no matter how severe. And too often we let the stupidest things destroy a church. Too often we let the stupidest things um, cause conflict and problems in churches. Now sometimes there are big damages in churches. Right? But if we are all working properly, functioning in our role with our gifts that God has given us, the church should be able to recover and heal. And, and that's why it's so important that we help one another. Mm, every joint supply. Amen. Every joint supply. So, church, relational holiness is all of us coming together humbly. We're coming together recognizing each other's value. And we're coming together to help one another. And I, I'm telling you, when you see a church like that, when the world sees a church like that, they're going to be curious about it. It's hard to argue with some things, right? There are certain things that you'll be talking to an atheist about. And yeah, it's going to be hard to argue with them. It's going to be hard to debate them on something. But there are other things that are just, they're too hard to argue with. When they see love like they've never seen it before. When they see peace like they've never seen it before. When they see humility like they've never seen it before. Believe me, it speaks volumes. can't tell you how many people I've met, and they're like, I'm not a Christian because someone convinced me. I'm a Christian because I started experiencing real community. I started getting to know, like, okay, this Jesus really does change life. Maybe there's some truth here. It's so evident. I saw this person, and they were the worst person in the world. Now, like, look at them. They're so different. You see that happening on a mass scale in a church? Love and peace and forgiveness and humility on a mass scale in a church? It speaks volumes to the lost. And I'm kind of getting into my next sermon, which is on missional <laughs> holiness. 
But these all, all four of these, they, they interconnect and they, you're going to have parts where they overlap. Because even in relational holiness, it begins with us personally making some decisions and, and having some repentance, looking at Jesus' example. So that's devotional holiness. So they all interlock, and, and we're going to talk more about that as this uh, series ends, about how it's holistic and how to view things holistically. But church, for today, let me challenge you. I, as the worship team is up here, I want you to pray about these things. How can I be humble before others? How can I value others? Who am I not valuing? How can I start viewing them the way that Christ does, which is a special possession, as we talked about last week? Each one of us are a special possession of God. Do you view everyone in the church that way? Right. So we're humble before them, we're valuing them, and how can I help them? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for... Thank you for your convicting word, God. Thank you for the example that you set before us in your son, Jesus Christ. That he who knew no sin became sin. That there's no greater love than this, than him who would lay his life down for his friends. Lord, these are... Amazing patches of scripture where we look and see that you beautifully showed us what relationships should look like. God, I, I pray that each one of us would think of those who maybe annoy us, those who um, maybe we have conflict with, those who um, maybe we have unresolved issues, Lord. We pray about how to love them, to be humble before them, to value them, to help them. Well, we pray that you would use this church and the love that is seen in this church to, to be a light in Austin, Texas. And we pray these things in your beautiful son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.